Welcome to the Youth School Podcast, where we believe inside of everybody there is a great story waiting to be discovered and lived. This is the show where we guide you on your journey in discovering what your story could be. It's your life. Don't let anybody else write it. Well, hey, everybody. This is your host of the Youth School Podcast, Scott Schimmel. I am the president and the chief guide of this whole operation, and we are switching. If you're paying attention to our podcast and the content that's coming out through our website, we are switching themes, and this is the first episode of a new theme, the theme of the month, which is it's not about you. And so very ironically, I could think of no one else in the world I'd rather interview to start off our series than a guy who's taught me that quality. Uh, and the, the irony is... I'm going to interview him and have a conversation with him and talk about it's not about you, but it's, uh, it is about him. I, there's a lot to learn from him. His name is Brad Lickman, been a friend and mentor of mine for years. Uh, he's near and dear to the U-School world as a key advisor for us as we interact with schools, especially public schools. And so I want to welcome Brad to the U-School podcast. Say thanks for being here and starting off as a question so the listeners can get to know you. Uh, in the context of it's not about you, Brad, tell us about your background, your story, and how did you get into education in the first place? Well, first of all, thank you for that introduction, Scott. Uh, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. You and I have had lots of conversations over the years, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm looking forward to where this conversation is going to go. Yeah. So, um, you know, the end of the story is I spent uh, 35 some years in uh, in education, primarily as a uh, a school uh, started out as a teacher and then later on as a high school principal and finally as an assistant superintendent uh, working with 17 schools in a unified district. But your question is, uh, you know, where did that come from or how did the start happen? And what does that have, any, have to do with uh, it's not about you? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the risk, I, I will not bore the audience with a long litany of, of how I got there other than to say um, as, a, as a young child and growing up in the 1960s in the San Francisco Bay Area, actually in the um, shadow of Stanford University in Palo Alto, mm. um, and a son of a Marine Corps pilot, World War II pilot, um, and a woman who came from a long background of family who was in education and in politics, mm. I was raised with the uh, ethic of uh, it's your job to uh, impact the world. Um, It's not what you get out of it, but what you give back. So from a pup on and then living in an era of uh, constant attention to uh, events that were happening, uh, civil rights, the war, um, as a young teen, I became active in being active and involved. So um, uh, the other piece to that, uh, my father was Jewish, and uh, I was raised with the historical knowledge of what had happened in uh, Europe and uh, the knowledge Mm. that uh, some of his extended family uh, were victims of the Holocaust. Wow. So how could these things happen? Um, So all of that that life uh, and all the reading I did uh, influenced me that by going to college and onward that I would be engaged in a life of service. Um, 
that was in my DNA, just, just to begin with. Yeah. I, didn't, I thought the early time it would be a political life. I went to law school. I got disenchanted. Um, I worked for politicians. And uh, by just uh, by chance or fate, I ended up uh, falling into teaching and found out that that's where my gift was. Okay. So um, that was the early, the, the early experience. Okay. And uh, why, you know, why did you get an education the first? How did you land into teaching? Well, I, I had, I, <laughs> I, I lost a scholar. When I quit law school, I go, well, that's that. What am I going to do? And somebody <laughs> says, you know, there's a job teaching at the local private uh, school across from the university, which is a Catholic school. Why don't you apply to teach? And I go, well, you know, I, I never thought of that. Yeah. Uh, 13 people interviewed for the job, and I got it and found myself in a classroom with no training experience. Uh, the first year was uh, just quite a, like, what am I doing? Yeah. By my second year, I was teaching and coaching, and I thought, why are they paying me huh. the salary of $9,400 a year and $200 a season to coach? <laughs> and I, I knew that I had landed in the right place. I okay. loved kids, loved teaching. And uh, as some years went by, I ultimately ended up as assistant principal and principal in public schools where I spent the bulk of my career. If we had the chance to interview a group of students that were in the classroom with you, what, what would they say? What kind of, what kind of teacher were you? Uh, this will sound uh, very self-serving, but uh, they would say, many of them would say, I, uh, well, I was the best teacher they had. They, they came alive in the classroom. Hmm. Uh, they discovered things in themselves and the world. Um, and I, I still have relationships with a number of them. I've been invited to a 30-year reunions. Huh. Um, uh, we, we lived a close life together. We, uh, we were family. Um, huh. So um, it, was, it went both ways. They had a, a major impact on me and what became sort of my mission my understanding of my role in the world. So it was a remarkable eight years, that first eight years of my life. What were you doing? I mean, how did you, okay, so you had this great impact. What, what was it? How, what would, if we were to go back in time, be in the classroom with you, what, what behaviors were you engaging in? How were you jumping on desks like Robin Williams? Where, where are you, what were you doing? I did some of that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I did some of that. We had some fun. I got uh, uh, sort of humorously uh, upset with this great girl, and I picked up my shoe and I threw it at her. Huh. Um, she picked up the shoe and threw it out of the courtyard, and so I had to walk out in the courtyard. And as everybody was laughing, we were having a great time. Um, I think I learned very on that engagement is the key. Hmm. And so I would work uh, tirelessly to figure out how to engage the students. Hmm. And every kid's different. And I learned early on that um, I, I would look at these kids. I generally have like 30 plus in the classroom. Um, and I'd try to figure out what's going on in their minds. Hmm. And I'm teaching history or government or political science. Uh, what are they there for? You know, hmm. What are they actually thinking about when they're in my class? Hmm. So... Um, and it drove me nuts if there was one kid who had dead eyes, what I call dead eyes. Their really? Eyes Just one kid? If there's one kid, I would go home and i go, how do I get through to this one kid? <laughs> it would bother me. Yeah. I had like 160, 170 students a semester. Yeah. Um, 
and it would bother me if one kid had dead eyes. <laughs> so um, I would try to find a key to that, that kid. So um, that's great. So it, it really started with engagement and, okay. and really knowing them as individuals. Okay. And were you, were you able to win that dead kid over, dead eyes kid over? Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes. sometimes no. Yeah, yeah. And then later on, when I got into public schools, and the first public school I was in, I went from a private school to a public school uh -huh. where there were Crips and Bloods. And uh, when I was teaching there, one class, third period, I had half of my students expelled, or two of them were killed um, oh. in, in, within a semester. Um, so, and there were kids whose parents were in prison and kids from poverty. Wow. And so it really changed the equation of what goes on in kids' lives and how mm. we can connect with those kids. Mm -hmm. So I, it was very, very hard and difficult transition when I went into public schools, but um, I could not have been the principal I was without that experience. Mm. If you loved the classroom so much, why, why did you get into administration? Well, I had had experience as a teenager of leading organizations. Okay. Um, and then my second year as a teacher in the private school, I was elected uh, the department chair of a 10-member department at age huh. 25 or 26. Wow. So I think because I had some skills in leadership, mm -hmm. that uh, vision, mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, goal setting, mm -hmm. and how to move groups forward. I think it was a natural evolution in my late 30s, and people were saying, and I recognize someday I, I would maybe like to lead a school. So, hmm. um, so in my late 30s, I, I made that transition. Okay, and similar question, what would it have been like to be around you when you were vice principal, principal? What, what kind of experience would your staff have had around you? What kind of leader were you inside of a school? Well, when you're vice principal in a school, which is, um, uh, we, we were, uh, we had a significant population of kids in trouble. Okay. Uh, drugs, violence, uh, gangs. Um, uh, there was a TV show uh, back in the day called Hill Street Blues. Uh -huh. They always started off in the squad room, and the squad room is constant motion. So that's what our vice principal's office was. There were tons of people always in motion. There were sheriffs, probation officers, social workers, uh, teachers, clerical staff, and I was um, 6 a.m. to uh, 5 p.m. at least uh, without mm. a break, really. Wow. dealing with issues, problem solving. And I realized that uh, I could impact lives in a very deep way um, in that capacity. Uh, and I grew a lot working with uh, young people and families who had significant needs. Mm. Um, so uh, it was very different from being in the classroom where you have deep long-term relationships. It was... Um, it was triage. It was, I was an mm. ER physician. That's what mm. I was. Yeah. Uh, for those years I did that, I was an ER physician. Was that true no matter what the school context was? Yeah, that job of an assistant principal in a large urban or suburban high school, you're a problem solver and there's no downtime. 
Okay. Uh, you're responsible for all sorts of things, programs that you oversee, but you're at the mercy every moment of a, a crisis or, a, you know, some issue that will your day sidewise. I mean, pulling guns off of people, uh, knives, oh. uh, drug overdoses, um, uh, uh, dealing with uh, family violence, uh, child abuse. Um, yeah, uh, going wow. to kids' homes, trying to get them to uh, come to school, walking into, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, was frontline, you're in the trenches in that experience. Well, it sounds like a really fascinating reality show, if someone's going to make a show about that, <laughs> look no further. Well, Scott, <laughs> I've, ri I've written, people said you ought to be writing books, and I've written uh, many volumes in my head. <laughs> But given your theme of it's not about you, yeah, uh, it's absolutely, it was not about me. It was about um, uh, engaging. What an ER physician has is a few moments to, mm. uh, to look at this patient and see what can I do to stabilize this situation. Mm -hmm. um, so it's never about me. Yeah. It's all about uh, the mission that we have to actually save lives. And we were doing that. We were saving lives. Mm. Um, and and I, that might sound like a lot of... Uh, it's a, hyperbole but sure. it was was really true what i know we've talked you and i've talked uh about culture a lot the culture of an organization the culture of a school and that's more and more the work uh that you school is getting into partnering with schools it, it, it's um so you know stopping there what what's your first what's your definition of culture and then why do you care about culture so much why is culture so important well, first of all, it's a great question. And by the way, it's the, the question. <laughs> and, um, I know you don't want this to be a four-hour podcast. Right. You might have already lost listeners so far. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, culture, what, one thing I learned, and going from school to school, I became a student of culture. And uh, what is, what is, and each 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 community has a different kind of a culture mm -hmm. and that impacts so much. So I, I began to pay attention to what are the values that I think are the most important uh, that should define a community, which is really, I mean, these kids and family, these kids are there more time. They spend more time in school than they spend anywhere else at home except yeah. to sleep perhaps. So, um, what are the values that should really uh, be the centerpiece of a community that is so intentional? And we're talking about the lives of people and mm. then the lives of the people that surround them, their families, their, mm -hmm. their, their, their businesses, their churches, clubs, sports. So um, as I was sort of leaving classroom teaching behind and beginning in getting into school leadership, um, I was really formulating my ideas. So by the time I became a principal, um, uh, I was in my uh, early 40s at the time, um, and they handed me a school and said, this is yours. Hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I really believed I was very prepared. <laughs> people, my mentors said, you're absolutely prepared. Okay. You're, you're ready, Brad. You are so ready. And I was so ready. Uh, oh my. Hmm. <laughs> um, and in that first couple of years, actually first one, two, three years being a principal, 
when you're 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 it. You're the mm. uh, yeah. You carry on your shoulders as the principal uh, the culture of the school. Okay. Uh, I I learned a, a great deal. Yes. Hmm. Uh, so, um, and, and through uh, through uh, hit or miss, and uh, through engaging uh, all sorts of variables, including crises, I, I I was I was in the gauntlet. I ran the gauntlet, and in uh, the four years of that first school, I set my bedrock in what culture is. Okay. What happens when a principal or leader of an organization is not one aware of the culture, they're not aware of the fact that culture is strong and powerful and it's there? What what happens from your perspective when a, when you're just unaware of culture? Well, that's a, that's a good question. And I might take exception. I think everybody is aware of culture to some degree. Okay. Um, uh, some of it is subconscious, uh, but some of it is very conscious. It's, it mm -hmm. is very important. And I'm talking about uh, kids, teachers, parents. Mm -hmm. So um, everybody has a sense of what it is, and some people pay a lot of attention to it. So the question is, in every school, uh, uh, school, and these were large schools, mm -hmm. these were mm -hmm. schools of, let's say, 2,500 students, yeah. 200 adult staff given teachers, support staff, coaches. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, a principal's a new principal comes in, into a school and, uh, and is invited into a culture mm -hmm. and then has to figure out what to do with that culture. Mm -hmm. um, is that culture the kind of culture that, is, that uh, matches up with the principal's uh, values, mm -hmm. uh, an understanding of what a... Uh, a uh, a high performing culture or a, a, a truly positive culture is. Uh, and I just want to tweak some things or am I mm. in a place which has got some serious issues? Yeah. And, and, I, and I did that. My first school, I recognized there were some uh, significant issues about the culture. Okay. Um, uh, my first school was the oldest school in a large district. Um, it had started in uh, 1920. Hmm. And it had an old, rundown uh, facility, uh, but a grand tradition hmm. uh, of people that thought this school was a great school. And in many respects, it was, but it yeah. had been languishing. It had not been um, uh, focusing on some things that I needed, I thought needed focusing on. Okay. So, um, so it was hard first first year or two. Yeah. Um, and I learned a lot about how a principal how many tools a principal has to affect culture. What are those tools? Well, first of all, becoming a principal for the first time, and if any principals ever listen to this, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, you think, people think that the big transition is from the classroom to that emergency room scenario of the vice principal, mm -hmm. but it doesn't even hold a candle to going from vice principal or assistant principal to principal, hmm. when all of a sudden, I mean, who looks at the vice president? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> vice, pre vice president can do a lot of work behind the scenes, but doesn't get the attention and doesn't get the blame. And the, mm -hmm. um, So I think one thing new principals figure out 
very soon is a humbling experience. Hmm. Um, and it takes a lot of listening, a lot of humility, but at the same time, you have to act and not be um, afraid to act. So there's okay. that tension between uh, the humility and patience and listening and how you, how we as principals are responsible for, uh, for thousands of lives. Yeah. So that was a learning experience for me. When it comes to changing culture, what are the levers in your, in your career? What are, what are the levers that you would pull or push in order to see things shift maybe quickly or as quickly as you could? Uh, well, that's, that's a very good question. And there's a lot of talk about you know, social, emotional intelligence on the one hand and yeah. achievement standards on the other. Yeah. And in the you know, 80s, 90s, and the aughts, you know, we were moving uh, away from a kind of a 70s, um, you know, it's, it's all about, um, you know, how you think about yourself and mm. uh, uh, into standards. And uh, we need to, uh, so it's, we move into an era of student achievement being the focus. Mm -hmm. And so how do you create a culture which it prides itself on student achievement? Um, and you create standards and expectations and high expectations okay. um, for all kids. Yeah. And I have the belief that it's not just a, you know, it's just not one off that, you know, all kids can learn. I actually believe all kids can learn. Yeah. And I've had, I've been principal of school where kids are on feeding tubes and are nonverbal. Mm. Um, and they're, they're in, the, they're in my high school. Yeah. Um, and, or they're shrieking out because they're severely autistic and they're screaming. Mm. So that kid has as much a right to learn, um, as, as any kid or kids who don't speak the language or they come mm -hmm. in out of poverty. And, uh, mm -hmm. so it's the, to me, the culture is how you have high expectations for student achievement for all kids mm -hmm. so that they can grow into being, so they can flourish in a life, which can be demanding, but that we care about the kid. Okay. Um, so that's where I found myself in the early years of my principalship, of how to uh, create that kind of a culture. Were there any moments where, that you could look back on where you thought, this, this, is, a, this is a watershed moment for your leadership, this is, this is a brand new insight that's going to change how I approach and address culture? Uh, well, yes. <laughs> uh, um, there, I could point to a number of watershed moments, but none more profound than in, um, in uh, late 2000, um, I had my first suicide as a principal. Mm. A, uh, I believe he was a senior student, jumped off the Coronado Bridge um, you know, in San Diego. Wow. And I'd been a teacher uh, with a, of a suicide student, mm -hmm. never been a principal. And that mm -hmm. happens. And as a high school principal, you'll occasionally have deaths, sometimes from auto accidents, mm -hmm. sometimes from a drug overdose. Um, suicide has a, you know, any death of a student can have a big impact on a school community. Yeah. Suicide has a distinct impact because people don't understand it. Okay. Um, 
and the friends grieve especially. Um, and so, you know, that was a thing. Um, and then, uh, uh, and then in February, I had my second suicide. Hmm. Um, and uh, to have two suicides so close together uh, was extremely sobering because you go through the motions of how you deal with a, a student death, and then you just begin to heal from it, and then we had another one. Hmm. Uh, and so that, of course, you go into a PTSD thing, and it sort of magnifies. Mm -hmm. uh, that was in February. On March 5th, uh, 2001, um, our sister school neighboring uh, a, a student uh, came on campus and killed, he shot two students at Santana High School. And I was there 20 minutes later, half an hour later. Wow. Um, the principal was a dear friend of mine. The assistant principal who held one of the dying students in her arms was an assistant principal that I'd helped train. Wow. Um, and the whole world descended on Santana High School. Yeah. This was after Columbine, which was 1995. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a very distressing to that entire uh, part of the San Diego County. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, we were grappling with that event, and my own school was impacted terribly. We were still grieving for student deaths, and then this thing happened. Mm. Uh, 17 days later, um, a student shot up another school in our district, a grant high school. He didn't kill anybody, but he wounded a number of people, including adults. Wow. Um, and then uh, two days after that, I had my third suicide. Jeez. Uh, this was an attempt suicide. On a Friday night, he attempted to hang himself in a public park. Um, and I went to the hospital. He was comatose and he died. I was with the family. Wow. Um, and two days after that, I had my fourth suicide. Oh, gosh. So in the space, and I lost my school. I lost my school. No one wanted to come to school. The school was broken, the whole community, the stress level, the staff. We were all in deep pain and anguish. And I was losing the school. And I was the principal. Hmm. You know, and as I speak right now, you know, I have PTSD. Yeah. Um, you know, it's... Uh, uh, and I'll go back to what we did. We, we, we managed to get through it through a number of things that influenced the rest of my professional career and in retirement. Um, we, we made it through the end of the school year, uh, came back to school to start fresh. Um, shortly after school started, um, I, was watch, I was called in to watch the TV news because 9-11 uh, was happening. Mm. And I had to go on the loudspeaker and say that we were under attack. Wow. Uh, the next day, a freshman girl uh, killed herself with a handgun. Um, Jeez. So, if you ask, are there any watershed moments? <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> um, I learned a lot about school culture. I learned a lot about values. Mm. Uh, you talk about student achievement and um, uh, social-emotional intelligence. I learned a ton that uh, we implemented when I was given the gift of starting a brand new high school uh, a year later. Mm. Well, since that, thanks for sharing that. The, since, since those years, obviously there's been an extraordinary amount of school shootings. In the past 
five years, there's been this drastic increase in not only depression, anxiety, but suicide. Uh, I'm yep. talking about teenagers. And the way I've described it, I think I've even described it on this podcast before, it seems like around two years ago, there was a memo that went out to all education leaders, principals, and assistant principals, and superintendents that said, hey, guys, kind of stop what you're doing on the uh, or maybe not stop what you're doing on this on the student school achievement or academic achievement side, but make sure you double or triple down on the term social emotional learning, social emotional uh, growth and development, and uh, and so it's been it's been a palpable shift and change from my perspective, having trying to work with schools for the past seven years, where the first five there wasn't much going on. <laughs> I, I spent maybe at least half the time I'd call it debating. People, if I actually had the opportunity to have a conversation with a principal or assistant principal, it seemed like it was half the time as a debate why this was even important, why this isn't something that just should happen at home, uh, not the responsibility. But there's been a shift, and I'm I'm curious uh, on your perspective of that shift now that you've been retired for what three years, three or four years, five years, five, five years. 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 Okay, what do you think about that shift, and uh, is it all good? Is are there some warnings? that you have from your perspective? Well, uh, I, I, I struggle to come with an exact answer to that. Um, I'm aware of the uh, pendulum in education and mm. how we shift from one sort of set of priorities to another and it swings this way and it swings that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I learned a lot to, uh, acquire a sense of what a balance should be in a school because there are so many priorities. We're talking about taking children and, uh, and we, 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 we have possession of these lives. Mm-hmm. And then in my sense, they walk across a stage, get a piece of paper and we uh, give them as gifts to the world. Mm. And so what do we do with that gift? Mm. They are gifts. They are, we, we, if we treat them as gifts, um, what do we do with that gift? Because that we have the privilege to uh, possess for yeah. a certain period of time. And um, there are all sorts of things we're expected to do. Uh, just, as parents, we're, we're, just as parents are. We're expected to, uh, to um, give them the tools by which they can, we can release them into the world. Hmm. You know, that's what animals do in the animal kingdom. That's what we do as, as human beings. Um, so uh, schools are no different from parenting in that sense. Hmm. Uh, so what I learned through my early years of principal and through these series of crises, and by the way, I was, I had the good fortune of very quickly being on multiple boards and in task forces with mm. high-level uh, uh, you know, social service, uh, counseling, mental health professionals mm. from around the country. So I benefited from a tremendous amount of expertise at every level and how to translate that into a school environment. So when we started uh, Mission Hills High School, um, which was a split-off of another high school up in San Marcos, uh, which uh, was doing okay, mm-hmm. but the superintendent had said it was languishing, mm-hmm. uh, it was underperforming, 
had all sorts of issues, a very diverse student body, but was underperforming. And Brad, what are you going to do about it? Hmm. So how are you going to start a school with a population that had been underperforming and had not been, they weren't a proud school? Yeah. How are you going to build a school? On what foundation are you going to build a culture? Hmm. So we had the opportunity to do it from the ground up. And, uh, uh, and boy, was that something. Hmm. Um, and so uh, whether you come in as a, a principal, well, most principals arrive at a school that's already started. Um, my advice is to really focus on two or three key core values that will drive the culture. Okay. And when you focus on those, this is your mission. This is your mission. Hmm. And you are t- we are tireless at focusing on the mission. Okay. You know, uh, you and I had conversation because I know you school yeah. works with military. In the military, uh, we're, you're, you're mission-centered. Mm-hmm. You focus mission-centered. Mm-hmm. Well, working with teachers and support staff, custodians, campus supervisors, coaches, we're mission-centered. What's mm. our mission? What's our mission? Yeah. And it's, you know, you said the theme of the month is not about you. Well, it's yeah. not about you. <laughs> it's about the mission. You know, and, um, and by the way, you math teachers out there, you're not math teachers. Mm. You uh, art teachers, you football coaches, you're not football coaches. Mm. That's secondary. You are uh, teachers of children. Mm. You are caregivers of children. So take off your math hat, take off your biology hat, take off your art hat. Wow. Take off your custodian hat, Brad, take off your principal hat. We're here to, we are custodians of children. What does that look like? What, we, what is our mission as we are custodians of children? Wow. What, is that, what does that look like? How do we build a community where that's the focal point? And... Uh, uh, well, so that's, that, could be pretty, that could be pretty contrarian to a high academic achieving campus when you're trying to communicate that to AP bio, AP physics, AP whatever teachers who's got, who are, they feel like they're under the clock and we passed this many students last year. We're trying to, you know, <laughs> uh, what does that conflict look like? How oh, do you- <laughs> oh, contrary, my friend. There is absolutely no conflict. Okay. Uh, there was this thing called the API, uh-huh. uh, which was the Academic Performance Index by which all schools were ranked, and we got two scores. Yeah. One was our raw score, a scale. Well, we got a raw score, and then we were ranked uh, one to ten um, against all schools just on the raw score where we were, and then the other one was uh, through comparative schools on a one to ten, so comparative demographics. Okay. Um, we were in the, our first year, we were in the uh, sort of uh, mid-600s, which was not a very good score. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a former AP teacher. And so we started the school with two core values. We will expect great things from everybody. We will have high standards expected of everybody. Okay. It's all about high standards. Okay. We expect great things. All kids, every kid. Okay. Special needs kid, uh, English learner, AP kid. We will get as many kids in AP as possible. Um, we will give them the most rigorous academic experience possible. Every kid. 
every mm. single kid. Um, no kid is not going to have a rigorous academic experience. Mm. Um, and uh, I believe it was our fifth or sixth year, we were the highest performing school of diversity in San Diego County. We were contacted by Sacramento. How did you do it? Hmm. Uh, when I left there, we had an 8PI of, I believe, 848. Wow. Our kids were outperforming kids in Torrey Pines, coastal kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, <laughs> uh, so, no, you can be a very high-performing school. Okay. have high expectations of performance from everybody. And that, that's a must. Yeah. Um, we will, we will not sit still and leave kids not being able to read, write, and know yeah. science and everything else, art. Absolutely. So, um, so, so you're saying it's not an either or? No. We had, two, we had two values. Two values. High expectations for ourselves and everybody else. And we will be nurturing community where we will love everybody else. We will hmm. be a we will be a place that cares about everybody. Hmm. We will be a place where there should be no child who is not cared for by adults. And how do you measure that? What, what, how, how would you put that into oh, practice? Well, one way to measure it is how uh, your attendance rate is. Uh, when kids feel that they belong, they're participating, they come to school. Okay. And our attendance rates went up. Okay. Um, by, we implemented all sorts of programs. I wish we'd had youth school at the time. I had sort of, we, we uh, did a number of things to create opportunities for kids to belong, to uh, look out for other kids. Hmm. Uh, we preached something called there'll be no bystander behavior. We okay. will not sit by and tolerate uh, bullying, the kinds of things that lead to student suicide. Okay. Uh, we will have kids uh, help other kids who are anxious. Hmm. Uh, we will make reporting to counselors and psychologists an easy thing. Okay. We will have a lot of meetings of adults on how to identify when kids are, we're beginning to lose kids. Hmm. Um, so uh, we wanted a culture where a person would walk onto the campus for the first time and they think they're walking into not a school, but their home. Hmm. So we paid attention to how the office looked, how they were greeted, hmm. um, the artwork on the walls. Okay. And people would walk on and they'd go, what is this place? Hmm. And substitute teachers would say, I, I, I always want to come back and teach here because mm. everybody cares so much. Wow. So, uh, but that has to take, that takes a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And, and so, and it's not just the kids social emotional, it's the staff. Mm. Yeah. And does the principal know when a staff member is hurting? Wow. That, you know, I got 200 staff, 2,700 yeah. kids. Yeah. How do I know if somebody's hurting? Huh. What do I do about that as a principal? You know, I would tell my, because I'm a driven guy and I get focused on all sorts of stuff. My secretary, I'd say, please tell me when somebody's hurting and I should go visit them. Mm. <laughs> and, That's great. Yeah. One of the things we've been 
noticing and, and learning and then now saying uh, around this idea of helping create healthy kids who become healthy adults, that there is some math involved in that, that it's, it's without healthy adults, i.e. teachers, parents, coaches, support staff, modeling what healthy behavior looks like, modeling social emotional health and wellness, it ain't going to happen. I mean, it might, but it's probably not. And that's interesting for you to say that in a different way from a principal's perspective, we have to care about, we have to, we have to care. We have to care about each other. I think that's really powerful. And, oh, and if, people won't care about others unless they're cared for. Which brings up a point, Scott. All culture starts at the top. Okay. All culture starts at the top. Mm-hmm. If a principal does not model the culture and work tirelessly as the number yeah. one priority, yeah to uh, build and nurture, you plow the ground, you plant the seeds, yeah. but you gotta water the plants. And principals have many, many things that we fo- focus on. Yeah. So how do I as a principal go from a 600 something API to an 845, getting all sorts of awards, and still, still pay attention to the people? Yeah. How do you do that? And how do you keep suicides from happening? Yeah. And drug overdoses? Yeah. Because you pay attention to the adults. And every staff meeting starts with a, who wants to report out, every staff meeting, who wants to report out on something they've seen another staff member do that, uh, that advances the culture? Brilliant. Every staff meeting. Love that. Every staff meeting. And, I mean, it could go on for 20 minutes at our school. Yeah. yeah. But you cut it off after five. <laughs> And we started a, a blog every Friday. An email went out during mm-hmm. the week. People would send to a teacher something that they saw another staff member do that they thought would be recognized. Mm-hmm. It was pages long that went out every Friday. Wow. And everybody got a sense of, wow, look what's happening around me. Yeah. I want to belong to this. Let me ask you a couple last questions for context. I think of a teacher at a local large public high school where we had the opportunity to be connected to her, train her to run our curriculum and program inside of her classroom. And I have to tell you, I've interacted with a lot of teachers, seen many in the classroom. She's the best that I've ever seen in terms of nurturing her students and having the high expectations. And I can't tell you how many times I'd go visit her and I had to wait in line sometimes for 45 minutes after school or during lunchtime because there was a line of students coming back to her, no longer in her classroom, but, but from previous semesters, because they so deeply cared about her and felt cared by her. And one of the things I noticed that you know, stood out, every single uh, transition period, uh, passing period, she went outside and greeted every single student on the way in the door. And I remember standing out here with her one time, I said, that is just an interesting thing that you do. Uh, why do you do that? And she just looked at me with a dumb look on her face. And like, why, would why, I you ask, why are you asking that question? Yeah. And then the, the thing that stuck with me is I, I looked around and said, uh, are you the only teacher that does that? And she looked at me and said, uh, of course I am. And for a teacher who's listening to this episode, what, what advice, because so, you said something important, culture starts at the top. What, what about a teacher who really wants that kind of culture but isn't at the top what 
what word do you have for them? Uh, you've got to figure a way to connect with every kid. Mm-hmm. You've, got, you've got to, that's your first priority. There's this axiom that says that elementary teachers go into the profession to teach kids mm. and high school teachers go into the profession to teach stuff. Yeah. Because they like math or government. Yeah. Or something. So we're, we're mostly here talking about high school, mm-hmm. uh, youth school. Yep. But you've got to connect with each kid. You've got to develop a relationship with each kid. Mm-hmm. You've got to build a trust. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've got to establish, got to give them a reason that they respect you, that you care for them. Mm-hmm. They have to know that you care for them as an individual. Mm-hmm. How you do that is the most important thing you'll ever do as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have to give one example and I know time's running short. Her name was Peggy Ormsby. You know, if I, if I have the ticker tape of fantastic teachers run mm-hmm. across my brain, <laughs> it's, it's long. I've seen fantastic teachers. She's, you know, She's right up there at the top. I was a vice principal of the school, and she taught, um, she taught uh, U.S. history. And I was a new vice principal, and it was the first day of school, and I was walking around, and I was outside her. She was outside her door. She had, like, let's say 150 students. Oh, gosh. She'd taken the yearbook home over the summer. She'd memorized every kid. Huh. She greeted every kid by name as they walked in the door. <laughs> said, I'm so glad you're with me this year. Wow. You know, Sarah, nice to meet you. I'm Mrs. Ormsby. So pleased that you're in my class. Wow. Every kid. I go, I'm not worthy to be around this teacher. I thought, <laughs> so, I mean, is, is that possible for teachers to do? But what a bar. Yeah, right. And, and Peggy was that teacher. They didn't leave her classroom. Hmm. When she retired, she was as fresh as she was. Hmm. How, do you, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you do that? And boy, when you have a relationship with kids, you're all of a sudden not working. It's like a, yeah, there are days which are really rough, mm-hmm. but it becomes a, a fantastic place when you yeah. have a relationship with kids. Last question. My, my experience of you in, in leadership scenarios is that you are very, uh, you come across to me as very direct, very clear. And I've had the chance to interact with other leaders who mean well, uh, but aren't direct. So, for example, um, what advice would you give a principal that maybe hasn't learned a style of leadership where they communicate clearly, and yet they are doing the right stuff in, um, in other ways, meaning they do model caring for their staff. Uh, they're, they're the kinds of principals that go out uh, to the parking lot every single morning to greet students and parents on the way in. And they're, I believe, hoping that as they look behind them, the rest of the staff, the other 200 adults, is going to see what they're doing and then start emulating that, start uh, uh, participating in the same behavior. What, what would you say in that context? What would you say to that person? Well, that, that's just where the rubber hits the road. So you can have a very well-intentioned principal who, by the way, is working a 100-hour week yeah. Um, carrying the weight of the world on his or her shoulders out there in the parking lot. You know, I used to pick weeds, pick up trash, whatever, mm. um, modeling. But then the principal gets, gets uh, distracted mm-hmm. for very important stuff as the day gets going. Mm-hmm. And we lose focus on the number one priority. Mm. So it's how you keep focus. So it's one thing to model it. And maybe speak about it every now and then. It's another thing to 
to ingrain these behaviors consistently throughout all interactions hmm. so that your staff meetings, your, your team time where, you, where departments are meeting or whatever, um, you are continuing to bring these, this goal of um, it's not about you. What is it about? How do we care for kids? Hmm. How do we challenge and nurture kids at the same time? Hmm. Ideas, people. Why do we lose kids? How can we talk to each other? Hey, you, I, I, I find you have this kid. What are you facing with this mm. kid? So, and, and then, so the principal's job, the, the, we, this is your garden. Yeah, yeah. What do you, what's the most important nutrient that you can do? Mm. It's constant, constant attention to culture. Mm. And yeah, you can't, you can't have 10 different things you're focused on. Yeah. The culture's number one. Hmm. Culture's number one. Um, and then hopefully the principal has outlets, other people to talk to, uh, some mentors, coaching, mm -hmm. uh, to talk about frustrations. I had the good fortune of having that. Um, so you can mm -hmm. process, you know, what's working, what's not working. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and how to, yeah, well, I can how to deal with district or board demands in light of your own priorities. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a small audience too. <laughs> yeah. well, well, Brad, thank you. Uh, can't thank you enough for this conversation. Extremely meaningful, especially for people in a school setting. And I would say this is a helpful episode for parents as well, who really see school as partners with raising your kids to be healthy, uh, to have a little bit more insight into the world of what it takes to run a school. Uh, so thanks for being a part of this episode. And of course, thank you for being a great friend to you school and a great friend to me. So with that, uh, just want to say thanks again, Brad. It's been a pleasure, Scott. You're so welcome. Okay. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining us on the U School podcast. You can find other episodes like this one, as well as a bunch of other free resources for students, parents, schools, athletes, and veterans on our website, theuschool.com. Remember, it's your story. Don't let anybody else write it.